Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast, 15 to Life. I'm your host, Tito. We're going to jump right into this. This is one of my first just one-on-one real interviews. I've done a couple of them, but not really with someone that I spent a lot of time with. So this interview is with my boy, Uso Ron. It was recorded earlier, so this is just my quick intro to it. Uh, I did about eight, nine years. Um, No, about eight years with Ron. Um, We both had life sentences when we met. Um, you can find Ron on Instagram and YouTube, 30 to Life, great channels, go check them out. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump into this interview with a killer. Hope you all enjoy. All right, everyone, what's up? 15 to Life here with apparently my big brother because he's 30 to Life, so we're we going to get into this. My Uso Ron is on here. We're going to be going through how we met, his situation, what he's been through, and most importantly, just what it is to, to be out here and be free again, right? So, Ron, you grew up in, in Vacaville, right? Um, one or two, two siblings. You got a younger sister, right? You were a shy kid. You love camping, fishing, all that outdoor stuff, skateboarding. I could totally see you skateboarding, by the way. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty spoiled as a kid and then growing up coming up fifth sixth grade things started going the other direction right started getting in trouble at school and everything got involved with uh gangs right and and kind of the smoking and drinking situation and then things just 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 kind of went bad i met you in prison uh we were we were both lifers at the time um that's where the 15 and the 30 to life comes from, right? But but why don't why don't you just tell us a little bit about how this transition from being the good kid that was spoiled, loving outdoors, to the drinking and smoking and getting involved with gangs. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh so yeah, um growing up in a small town like Vacaville, uh, I think for me, you know. As a youngster, I had a trouble fitting in with a lot of people. Um, being Samoan, I, w- I wasn't really kn- knowing about my background as far as my roots and, and where my people come from. Um, my mom kind of wanted us to have a different type of life out here. So, you know, the way she was raised in me wasn't the Samoan way. And so growing up, it was predominantly, you know, white people and Mexican people in my town and a very few black families. So, you know, of course, you know, I'm going to gravitate to where I fit in the most, where I feel like the most comfortable. And so a lot of these kids that were uh, moving to Vacaville, they were coming from areas like LA and, and the Bay Area and things like that because of the prison that was in our town. And, um, you know, whether it was for job opportunities or just to be closer to people who were incarcerated. And a lot of these kids that came from those areas, you know, they came with that, you know, gang mentality and, the, and that street mentality. 
and I kind of just fit in with those, with that group of people. And so, you know, I was around 12 years old. I ended up, uh, you know, hanging out with them more and getting jumped into what I thought was a gang, you know, um, when I look back at it now, it was just wannabe stuff. But as a youngster, I took it pretty serious, you know? So that's pretty much how it happened. Just hanging around. It's kind of my environment that really got me into it. I mean, I had a lot of other things that was going on in my life, but yeah, it was environment that led to the gang life and everything. So, so, so you start getting involved with, with outside influences, you, you get involved with the gang life and, and how does that lead you down this path? I mean, obviously gangs are bad, right? But at the same time, like what, what was it that you started getting into as far as on the crime side that, that started you down that path that, that got you eventually into prison? Um, or juvenile hall, I, I'm sorry, that, that's where it really started, right? Right. Well, like you said, I was a shy kid and, uh, you know, I don't know. I felt like back in those days, I got picked on a lot, got bullied a lot, and I really didn't have a voice uh, to speak up for myself uh, back then when I was a kid. And, you know, like I said, I didn't really fit in place around the people. So I was, I looked different, you know, and I kind of acted different. So, you know, I got picked on a lot, but it was what happened was is one time I remember just standing there was at school and I was surrounded by a bunch of kids and I was being picked on being bullied. You know, someone was just pretty much talking shit to me and they were trying to antagonize him to fight me. But what was going on in my head was I was tired of this shit, you know, and I kept telling myself in my head over and over, man, just, just sock this motherfucker in his mouth. You know, and it, it took a it took a lot of courage to finally do it. And, you know, good thing he was doing mostly the shit talking. And I finally socked him in his mouth and I saw that, you know, he was shocked. And I realized that these guys that were picking on me and doing all this shit talking were just like me. You know, they weren't really that tough, you know, and when you hit them. They, they let you know what they're really about. And I think after that, I started solving all my problems in that way. And then, you know, with the drinking and everything, you know, of course, drinking just makes it more easier to be, you know, more confident in yourself. So, yeah, um, you know, people that knew me growing up, I solved most of my, my issues with my, my fists, you know, just how it was. And that's what basically got me locked up most time is is just fighting you know being violent right 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 so so i know you went to juvenile hall so how old were you the first time you quote unquote got locked up you went to juvenile yeah so um i was 12 years old when i got locked up in juvenile hall and uh i basically got suspended or expelled from school for fighting and uh, the kid got hurt and um, yeah, so I got locked up in juvenile hall. It wasn't for, for a long time. And um, I remember my first time in juvenile hall, I was, you know, you know, crying like a little baby and talking on the phone to my mom, telling her to come get me, you know, and she was like, I can't, I can't come get you, you know, like, you know, you, you messed up. They, they got you now. They're, now I can't do nothing for you. 
So that was kind of when I learned that, you know, what it's like to be on my own, if anything, you know what I'm saying? So I felt kind of grown after I got out of juvenile hall, you know, I just kind of didn't change nothing. I just went back to thinking I was this tough guy, this tough kid at 12 years old. So that, that's where it all started. So, so is, is, is part of what happened from way back then at 12 years old to when you actually landed as an adult in California state prison, well, would you characterize that as it, it's, it's kind of a growth process through that system of getting into fights, then actually getting incarcerated and, and just the perpetual motion of what's the next thing. And it basically kept going until it became a life sentence. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I look back at it, that's what I feel like. I feel like I was just stuck in this cycle and it was hard to get out of, you know, cause I would remember, you know, cause I, I went to juvenile hall a few times before I ended up going to CYA in prison and things like that. And I remember those few times I went to juvenile hall, I would wake up the next morning, you know, and see the, the steel door and the, you know, the to steel toilet and everything. And, and I would think to myself, man, I, I just got out of this motherfucker. Why am I back here? How, how do I keep ending up here? And I kept asking myself that, and I really didn't know, you know, just being a young person and be, with a young mentality, you know, because I thought that, that what I was doing, the way I was living was how everybody was living. Cause you know, the kids around me was living that way too. You know, they were going in and out of juvenile hall. They were doing things like that, you know? So I don't know. It just, it just was one of those things where we were just caught up in that cycle. And, and like you said, yeah, it, it just kind of built up to everything from Juno Hall to CYA to finally a life sentence in prison. But, you know, I remember just thinking when I was young that I had no future, you know, except for just being locked up because that's just how I felt. I felt that I was, you know, just someone that belonged in that type of life. Like I didn't see nothing else outside of it. It's, it's weird how to explain it because you're just caught up, you know, that tunnel vision. Oh, definitely. And, and yeah. yeah, so in that, right, like, like you said, like going into juvie and then waking up and going like, what the hell, why am I back here? Why do I keep putting myself? So, well, if you can, you know, talk about what, if at all, um, what was offered to you to help you stay out? You know, like you went, you went in and out, like, so I'm assuming at some point they're like, hey, Ron. <laughs> up you're back huh? you know so what if anything did the state do or the system do to help you get to a normal state of life instead of keeping in that revolving door yeah well you know personally i think that the the state just basically once you're caught up in that cycle it's set up for you to continue to be in that cycle and to go down that road you know once you start going through the system mm -hmm. You know, it's just a matter of time before you get to prison. Really, there's nothing there for you, especially back then in the 90s. You know, um, I got kicked out of school, out of regular school. And all they did was put me in another school, which they called a continuation school, mm -hmm. which was full of kids who have already been in juvenile hall or, or, or on probation right now or something like that. People who are involved in gangs, drugs, whatever. And so, you know, I stayed in that environment, but, um, you know, like it's, that's pretty much how the system was, but 
there was always someone down the line, like a counselor or someone or a teacher that would always try to reach out to me, you know, and maybe just try to say like, hey, man, you know, you need to slow your roll or you're going to end up in prison one day or, you know, you might end up dead before you're 18. I got told that by a counselor one time. He had told me, you know, hey, the way you, you live in and, 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 and acting, you ain't going to see 18, you know, and when he told me that I had been shot at a few times, I've been in, you know, fights, I was sitting there, like, I've been through a lot of shit at that time. So he probably wasn't too far off the mark. You know, it was probably best I was locked up. It pretty much saved my life, you know? Yeah, so. de definitely. And, and yeah, I, I hear you and I agree, like the system is set up to make money and you don't make money if you don't have <laughs> money in the bank and inmates are money in the bank. Right. Um, so, you mentioned going to, to CYA, California Youth Authority. So what was your first time going to CYA? What was that experience like? Yeah, so uh, I finally, you know, uh, committed a crime that, that, you know, got me sent to YA with a nine-year sentence. And, um, yeah, and uh, when I got to CYA, it was different from anything I've experienced, you know, it just, I guess you could just put it this way. It was like a, a prison for kids. You know, you can imagine that there was bob wires, you know, you know, metal door, electric doors, all that stuff, cells, things like that. But I was, uh, how old was I? I think I was like 16 at the time. And um, I, I got tried as an adult. And so they sent me there to Y. And pretty much, you know, if the counselor felt you know, I was getting in a lot of trouble or whatever. They could send me to prison. They can, you know, redo my sentence and send me to prison. But, you know, so I was charged with like as an adult, but housed in CYA. And getting there, my first time there, like I said, it was it was like being in prison. You know, you get there and, and they strip you out, just like showing up to prison, you know. They strip you all out, you know, except there they threw us in a shower and all this stuff. And, you know, of course, the TB testing, you go through that whole process um and then you get your bedding and your clothes and and then you go into your uh your building and that experience right there man that's something else man i haven't got to speak a lot about my why experiences but um walking in i was walking into dorm two and i was in nrcc in sacramento and i was walking into dorm two and dorm one and dorm two was the little kids the youngsters so, you know, and the other dorms had older kids, like 17 year olds, 18, 19, things like that. But um, we were the youngsters. So in dorm two, it's Thunder Dorm. As soon as, as soon as you walk in that door, as soon as you walk in that door, you're getting hit up. Hey, homie, where you from? You know what I'm saying? What you bang? What they call you? Where you from? You know, everybody's hitting you up as you're walking through. And you might say something that, you know, you know, that, that be their enemy, they're going to rush you right there on the spot, you know? So automatically when you get to YA, it's, it, you're constantly fighting. That's just how it was for me there. That experience. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and yeah, I think a lot of people don't, don't get that. They, they see and hear a lot of stuff about, about adult prison, regular prison, but they, they don't understand that some of the people they look down upon that are in that, all the stuff they went through before they ever got to state prison, right? And yeah, 
I I never did time in YA or anything, but I, I've talked to enough people that have, and yeah, I, I'm glad I haven't. <laughs> but but yeah, no. So you get out of YA. How long were you out of YA before you eventually caught your case and landed you with a life sentence? Seven months. Seven months. Yeah, seven so, months. So talk about seven months of being free and then right back in with, with a possible never exit. Well, it was actually seven months after a couple of violations. I think I did like two violations. And then my last violation, I was out seven months before I caught the case. Yeah. So you did a couple of violations. Um, and just for everyone else, you know, violations typically are anywhere from a month to they can go up to a year, year. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's usually your opportunity to get your head right and not go back or yeah, you get caught up on something new. So Mm -hmm. seven months after your last violation, like uh, I'm assuming the two violations, you probably had short periods of time between them. So what Mm -hmm. happened that got you to seven months and then basically it all went away. Yeah. So I was out for seven months and I just remember that I was working and then, um, just money wasn't meeting right. And again, with my stupid way of thinking, my young way of thinking, I felt like, you know, selling weed would be the best way to make money for me. So I stopped working. And when you do that, you pretty much just put a target on your back to be violated again. So, you know, I just stopped checking in with my pro officer. And next thing I knew, I was just on the run again for a violation. And I had figured that, you know, for some reason, you know, I, I, I stupidly thought that I could run until I was 25 and then and then get off because that's how long they can pretty much hold you as far as parole goes with CYA. So I was thinking that. And then um, so I'm on the run for a while and then I'm hanging out, you know, just hiding at different places. I'm hanging out at one of my friend's house and uh, we're drinking and we're just hanging out and listening to music, just doing our thing. And uh, I think we had plans later to go hang out with some females and stuff like that. But what happened was this one of, one of my friends left the house. And when he left, he ended up getting an altercation a little ways down the road with some, some people that were walking down the street too. And uh, they get an altercation. Someone else comes and tells me that, that our friend is down the street fighting. So we run down the street, I get down there and I'm one of the first people to get down there. And I remember just getting down there and I didn't see anybody. It was dark. And uh, what happened next was some guy had came out of the bushes. And, I, you know, I know a lot of things that happened afterwards. But during what happened at this time, none of it made sense. So but he had came out of the bushes and um, he had asked me, you know, like, what's going on? What's the problem? And, I, you know, we we're exchanging words. I was saying pretty much the same thing. And uh, like I said, I usually just go to blows, you know, so we started, we started fighting and he went down and the other guys that were in the party, they show up. And as he went down on the ground, they show up, they just get the kicking on him. And, and he, the guy suffered head, like head trauma and ended up passing away from that. So, you know, we ended up going to, uh, um, to court and, you know, we, we thought it was going to be like an involuntary manslaughter because it wasn't like on purpose or anything like that. There was no weapons, 
but um you know the da decided to push you know second degree murder on the whole thing and he ended up getting the conviction the jury came back and convicted us um, for second degree murder and uh because i had a, a prior you know for for going to ya and things like that they gave me 15 of life but they doubled it up to 30 and so that's that's how i ended up with the 30 to life sentence <clears throat> yeah um and uh, i'm just going to call this out for the people listening and everything like that that's just how quick and how fast things were where you're thinking it's a fight and you know then you're you're potentially never coming home right exactly um, so yeah and and it could happen to pretty much anyone um so uh unfortunately you had a pass which ended up playing a part of it as well right so right. go to court you get convicted now now you're in the the quote unquote the big leagues you're you're pulling up i'm assuming you went through san quentin right yeah yeah so, i went straight to san quentin so what was that like you've been through juvenile hall you've been through YA. now you're in the big house and not just the big house but the original house <laughs> yeah what was that like so yeah so i go to san quentin and um you know i'm just kind of back in you know jail mode and uh you know so i go back in there and i kind of still got that gang banging mentality you know with me and i i don't really know who to hang out with or anything like that so i just go in you know with that mentality where i don't give a fuck you know the ya mentality and i know a lot of people who've been to prison or and have met people from ya they used to call us ya babies you know, we're, we're the hard-headed kids that come in and want to fight everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the kind of mentality I had when I got there. Um, matter of fact, when I, my very first day there, I fought my co-defendant, you know, because um, we, we, we have a disagreement on, you know, what happened on this whole thing, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but yeah, I got down with him. So I was pretty busy the first <laughs> I got to San Quentin. I got in a fight with him and then... Um, you know, they, they take you through the whole process of, of pictures and, you know, asking you about, you know, TV. And I had long hair at the time. So they were telling me to go sit in the chair to get my hair cut. And I was like, man, I got 30 years of life, man. I don't, I'm, I don't care about a write-up. You know, I, I had a bad attitude, you know? And, um, so I got my first write-up, I think that day too, uh, for not cutting my hair, but yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just a weird experience, man. And I had a I had a chip on my shoulder when I got there. So yeah. yeah. Definitely, definitely. And then I mean, so you went through San Quentin, you went you went high desert level four, went down to, to Solano, which is back home in Vacaville, right? And then and then uh, ultimately paroled from Corcoran, correct? Yeah. So so Tell us a little bit about that. Like you're in San Quentin, you go through all the process there and then you get chipped off and you land at high desert. What, what was that like showing up at, at a level four yard? Yeah. So, um, high desert, I, I didn't know nothing about it. Um, but in San Quentin, the night before you transfer out, they, uh, come by and they let you know, like, Hey, you know, you're, you're transferring and they tell you what prison you're going to. And so the, the guy told me, you know, high desert, you, you know, you're leaving in the morning. And I was like, okay, 
I didn't think nothing of it. And um, I just laid back down. And my celly, he peeked his head over the, the bunk, over the side of the bed, and he was looking at me, and he said, uh, you know where you're going, right? I said, yeah. He said, high desert. He said, no, you're going to a war zone. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, we at war over there. We've been at war over there for years. And I didn't really know, you know, like what he was talking about. He didn't really school me into what to expect. You know, but um, good thing I talked to a couple other people, you know, somebody got word to me in the morning. But um, yeah, so I go to High Desert and when I get there, I remember just getting off the bus at High Desert and, you know, you got the, the, the brass there. You got people sitting there with stripes and everything, these sergeants and lieutenants and captains and whatever. And then you got the regular COs and they're just standing there talking and everything. But I remember getting off because uh, there was me and uh, uh, another Samoan homie, a Tonga homie, and then a, a, and an Asian homie. So we were all getting off at the same time on the, off the bus. And I remember the sergeant was like, hey, 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 you guys right there. And he's like, what are you? And I was like, man, I'm Samoan, you know what I mean? And then like, he was asking us and then he was like, oh, yeah, we, we, we don't usually get this many off of the bus at one time. So he... Uh, they escorted us to our own own cell. And I was, you know, I was already, you know, knowing what's going on because we're, we're pretty much at war with another race. So the guys that were with me, though, we went in the cell and then they were like basically looking around like, why are we in this cell? And I was like, you know why we in this cell? Just look over there. Who's separated too? You know, they had the Southsiders in their own cell. They had us in our own cell. And then like the blacks and whites and everybody else were in their, their cell, you know, so you know, automatically when you step foot in the high desert, you know, it's phone, it's on, on and cracking. And from the day I left there, it's, that's how it was, you know? So yeah, high desert was a fucked up place. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but on that note, like, how was that finally getting to that point where you were transferring out and you knew you were, you were leaving that behind it, if nothing else, you know, still with the life sentence and everything, but at least you're getting out of the war zone, right? Well, what was that like? And did you, was that something you, you worked towards like to get closer to home? Like what, what was that all like? No, actually it's funny how it worked out. I mean, it's not funny, but thank God that, you know, we're always locked down there. So, you know, I did at one point in time, I did a whole year straight lockdown and then, you know, so your points just draw, you don't have no time to catch no, you know, write-ups or anything, or you're just locked down constantly, you know? So every time we come out, something happens, and then, you know, you're slammed for six months, nine, you know, nine months, eight months, just depends. So thankfully, you know, that's what was happening for me, you know, I was just being slammed, 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 and my points were dropping. And I didn't even think about it, because I, I forget how much I started. I started with pretty high points at the time. But, um, I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking about going to classification or anything. You know, you have a life sentence. You're sitting on a yard like that, man. You don't, you don't care about classification. You don't care about none of that stuff because they're not going to let you go anyway. You already know, you know. But um, I think it's just because I was on lockdown. I wanted to get out of my cell. And I went to classification and, um, you know, skipping ahead a little bit. But my wife had gotten an accident. So she had a chrono put in my file. Uh, for her and my parents, you know, to be closer to home, you know what I'm saying? But 
so they had that in front of them. But when I went there, he was like, uh, so you want to get closer to your family? And I was like, uh, yeah, you know, if that's possible. And um, he was just like, okay, where do you want to go? And I said, Solano. So I'm thinking we're just playing the game, you know? And I said, Solano. And he was like, okay, well, I can get you to Solano. He says, but you got to do me a favor. And I thought he was going to do some weird shit, like ask about what's happening on the yard and all that bullshit. And then he goes, I want you to go back to your cell and I want you to cut your hair off. That's what he said. I had long hair and they never could get me to cut my hair. I got fucking write-ups for not cutting my hair. Like every time I, you know, they asked me to cut my hair, I was always telling them, no, I'm not cutting my hair. So that's, that was his way of getting what they wanted all this time from me, you know? So I was like, so you can get me to Solano? And he says, you have my word, you know? And in prison, the, the cops, everybody, they all play the same game. Their word means everything to them. So he said, you have my word. And uh, I said, all right. So they escorted me back. They had an officer bring some clippers to the cell, you know, these fucked up clippers with a battery in it. I don't know how they got it, whatever, what they had, but they gave it to me and it, it, it was a fucked up job. My, my celly was like, you sure? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I had my head over the toilet and he was just, you know, taking, I went back anyways, I went back up there with patches on my head and just looking tore up, man. And, um, he was actually surprised. He was, lo- he was looking at me. He said, you really did it. I said, yeah, you said, you give me your word, you'll get me to Solano. And he said, I did, didn't I? And he said, and he signed it off. He said, all right, man, they should be hitting you get you up, you know, in 90 days, I think. It was a long time. I, I remember thinking, like, that takes forever. But it didn't take forever. <laughs> yeah, it didn't take that long. Yeah. But, yeah, I got transferred out of there. That's how, how it happened. But I remember the day I was leaving, I was on the bus, you know, and you're all shackled down with everybody. And you got these shackles on, your belly chains on and everything. And I'm, I'm next to one of my partners, um, Rudy from uh, Vallejo. And uh, we're, we're sitting on the bus. And uh, I remember we both just looked at the gate when, as we're going out the gate. And we both just like saluted that motherfucker. We out of here, man. Yeah. It was good to get out of that place. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, hey, everyone, that's going to wrap up part one of Interview with a Killer. I hope you all enjoyed hearing how Ron started out as an outdoor loving kid and fell into the gang life and basically was in and out of the system more in than out from his young formidable years up until adulthood. Be on the lookout. I'll be dropping a few more parts. We did a pretty long interview, so I got to cut up some more of it, but I hope you all enjoyed Be sure to like and subscribe. Drop a comment if you want to hear any other follow-up questions or anything else you want to hear about. Hope you all enjoyed. 15 to life.